Part two, chapter eleven of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Secret City by Hugh Walpole. Part two, chapter eleven. I realize that the moment has come in my tale when the whole interest of my narrative centers in Markovitch. Markovitch is really the point of all my story, as I have throughout subconsciously recognized. The events of that wonderful Tuesday, when, for a brief instant, the sun of freedom really did seem to all of us to break through the clouds, that one day in all our lives, when hopes, dreams, utopias, fairy tales, seemed to be sober and realistic fact, those events might be seen through the eyes of any of us, Vera, Nina, Grogoff, Semyonov, Lawrence, Bowen, and I, all shared in them, and all had our sensations and experiences. But my own were drab and ordinary enough, and from the others I had no account so full and personal and true as from Markovitch. He told me all about that great day afterwards, only a short time before that catastrophe that overwhelmed us all and in his account there was all the growing suspicion and horror of disillusion that after events fostered in him. But, as he told me, sitting through the purple hours of the night, watching the light break in ripples and circles of color over the sea, he regained some of the splendors of that great day, and before he had finished his tale he was right back in that fantastic world that had burst at the touch like bubbles in the sun. I will give his account as accurately as possible in his own words. I seldom interrupted him, and I think he soon forgot that I was there. He had come to me that night in a panic, for reasons which will be given later, and I, in trying to reassure him, had reminded him of that day when the world was suddenly utopia. That did exist, that world, I said, and once having existed it cannot now be dead. Believe, believe that it will come back. Come back, he shook his head. Even if it is still there, I cannot go back to it. I will tell you, Ivan Andreevich, what that day was, and why now I am so bitterly punished for having believed in it. Listen what happened to me. It occurred, all of it, exactly as I tell you. You know that, just at that time, I had been worrying very much about Vera. The revolution had come, I suppose, very suddenly to everyone, but truly to myself, because I had been thinking of Vera. It was like a thunderclap. It's always been my trouble, Ivan Andreevich, that I can't think of more than one thing at once, and the worry of it has been that in my life there has been almost invariably more than one thing that I ought to think of. I would think of my invention, you know, that I ought to get on with it a little faster, because, really, it was making a sort of cloth out of bark that I was working at. As every day passed, I could see more and more clearly that there was a great deal in this particular invention, and that it only needed real application to bring it properly forward. Only application, as you know, is my trouble. If I could only shut my brain up. He told me then I remember a lot about his early childhood, and then the struggle that he had had to see one thing at once, and not two or three things that got in the way, and hindered him from doing anything. He went on about Vera. 
You know that one night I had crept up into your room and looked to see whether there were possibly a letter there. That was a disgraceful thing to do, wasn't it? But I felt then that I had to satisfy myself. I wonder whether I can make you understand. It wasn't jealousy exactly, because I had never felt that I had had any very strong right over Vera, considering the way that she had married me. But I don't think I ever loved her more than I did during those weeks, and she was unattainable. I was lonely, Ivan Andreevich, that's the truth. Everything seemed to be slipping away from me. And in some way Alexey Petrovitch Semyonov seemed to accentuate that. He was always reminding me of one day or another when I had been happy with Vera long ago, some silly little expedition we had taken, or he was doubtful about my experiments being any good, or he would recall what I had felt about Russia at the beginning of the war, all in a very kindly way, mind you. He was more friendly than he had ever been, and seemed to be altogether softer-hearted. But he made me think a great deal about Vera. He talked often so much. He thought that I ought to look after her more, and I explained that that wasn't my right. The truth is that ever since Nina's birthday party I had been anxious. I knew really that everything was right. Vera is, of course, the soul of honor, but something had occurred then which made me... Well, well, that doesn't matter now. The only point is that I was thinking of Vera a great deal, and wondering how I could make her happy. She wasn't happy. I don't know how it was, but during those weeks, just before the revolution, we were none of us happy. We were all uneasy, as though we expected something were going to happen, and we were all suspicious. I only tell you this because then you will see why it was that the revolution broke upon me with such surprise. I had been right inside myself, talking to nobody, wanting nobody to talk to me. I get like that sometimes, when words seem to mean so much that it seems dangerous to throw them about. And perhaps it is. But silence is dangerous, too. Everything is dangerous if you are unlucky by nature. I had been indoors all that Monday, working at my invention, and thinking about Vera, wondering whether I'd speak to her. Then afraid of my temper. I have a bad temper. Wanting to know what was the truth thinking at one moment that if she cared for someone else, that I'd go away. And then, suddenly, angry and jealous, wishing to challenge him. But I am a ludicrous figure to challenge anyone, as I very well know. Semyonov had been to see me that morning, and he had just sat there without saying anything. I couldn't endure that very long, so I asked him what he came for, and he said, Oh, nothing. I felt as though he were spying, and I became uneasy. Why should he come so often now? And I was beginning to think of him when he wasn't there. It was as though he thought he had a right over all of us, and that irritated me. Well, that was Monday. They all came late in the afternoon and told me all the news. They had been at the Astoria. The whole town seemed to be in revolt, so they said. But even then I didn't realize it. I was thinking of Vera just the same. I looked at her all the evening, just as Semyonov had looked at me, and didn't say anything. I never wanted her so badly before. I made her sleep with me all that night. She hadn't done that for a long time, and I woke up early in the morning to hear her crying softly to herself. She never used to cry. She was so proud. 
I put my arms round her, and she stopped crying and lay quite still. It wasn't fair what I did, but I felt as though Alexey Petrovitch had challenged me to do it. He always hated Vera, I knew. I got up very early and went to my wood. You can imagine I wasn't very happy. Then suddenly I thought I'd go out into the streets and see what was happening. I couldn't believe really that there had been any change, so I went out. Do you know, of recent years I've walked out very seldom. What was it? A kind of shyness. I knew when I was in my own house, and I knew whom I was with. Then I was never a man who cared greatly about exercise, and there was no one outside whom I wanted very much to see. So when I went out that morning, it was as though I didn't know Petrograd at all, and had only just arrived there. I went over the Ekaterinovsky Bridge, through the square, and to the left, down the Sadovaya. Of course, the first thing that I noticed was that there were no trams, and that there were multitudes of people walking along, and that they were all poor people and all happy. And I was glad when I saw that. Of course I'm a fool, and life can't be as I want it, but that's always what I had thought life ought to be, all the streets filled with poor people, all free and happy. And here they were, with the snow crisp under their feet, and the sun shining, and the air quite still, so that all the talk came up and up into the sky like a song. But of course they were bewildered as well as happy. They didn't know where to go, they didn't know what to do, like birds let out suddenly from their cages. I didn't know myself. That's what sudden freedom does takes your breath away, so that you go staggering along, and get caught again if you're not careful. No trams, no policemen, no carriages filled with proud people cursing you. Oh, Ivan Andreevich, I'd be proud myself if I had money, and servants to put on my clothes, and new women every night, and different food every day. I don't blame them. But suddenly proud people were gone, and I was crying without knowing it, simply because that great crowd of poor people went pushing along, all talking under the sunny sky as freely as they pleased. I began to look about me. I saw that there were papers posted on the walls. They were those proclamations, you know, of Radzienko's new government, saying that while everything was unsettled, Milyukov, Radzienko, and the others would take charge in order to keep order and discipline. It seemed to me that there was little need to talk about discipline. Had beggars appeared there in the road, I believed that the crowd would have stripped off their clothes and given them, rather than that they should want. I stood by one proclamation and read it out to the little crowd. They repeated the names to themselves, but they did not seem to care much. The Tsar's wicked, they tell me, said one man to me, and all our troubles come from him. It doesn't matter, said another, there'll be plenty of bread now. And indeed, what did names matter now? I couldn't believe my eyes or my ears, Ivan Andreevich. It looked too much like paradise, and I'd been deceived so often. So I determined to be very cautious. You've been taken in, Nikolai Leontievich, many, many times. Don't you believe this? But I couldn't help feeling that if only this world would continue, if only the people could always be free and happy, and the sun could shine, perhaps the rest of the world would see its folly, and the war would stop, and never begin again. This thought would grow in my mind as I walked, although I refused to encourage it. 
motor lorries covered with soldiers came dashing down the street the soldiers had their guns pointed but the crowd cheered and cheered waving hands and shouting i shouted too the tears were streaming down my face i couldn't help myself i wanted to hold the sun and the snow and the people all in my arms fixed so that it should never change and the world should see how good and innocent life could be on every side people had asked what had really happened and of course no one knew but it did not matter everyone was so simple a soldier standing beside one of the placards was shouting tovaristi what we must have is a splendid republic and a good czar to look after it and they all cheered him and laughed and sang i turned up one of the side streets on to the fontanka and here i saw them emptying the rooms of one of the police that was amusing i laugh still when i think of it sending everything out of the windows underclothes ladies bonnets chairs books flower-pots pictures and then all the records white and yellow and pink paper all fluttering in the sun like so many butterflies the crowd was perfectly peaceful in an excellent temper isn't that wonderful when you think that for months those people had been starved and driven waiting all night in the street for a piece of bread and that now all discipline was removed no more policemen except those hiding for their lives in houses and yet they did nothing they touched no one's property did no man any harm people say now that it was their apathy that they were taken by surprise that they were like animals who did not know where to go but i tell you ivan andreevich that it was not so i tell you that it was because just for an hour the soul could come up from its dark waters and breathe the sun and the light and see that all was good oh why cannot that day return why cannot that day return he broke off and looked at me like a distracted child his brows puckered his hands beating the air i did not say anything i wanted him to forget that i was there he went on i could not be there all day i thought that i would go on to the duma i flowed on with the crowd we were a great river swinging without knowing why in one direction and only interrupted once and again by the motor lorries that rattled along the soldiers shouting to us and waving their rifles and we replying with cheers i heard no firing that morning at all they said in the crowd that many thousands had been killed last night it seemed that on the roof of nearly every house in petrograd there was a policeman with a machine-gun but we marched along without fear singing and all the time the joy in my heart was rising rising and i was checking it telling myself that in a moment i would be disappointed that i would soon be tricked as i had been so often tricked before but i couldn't help my joy which was stronger than myself it must have been early afternoon so long as i had been on the road when i came at last to the duma you saw yourself ivan andreevich that all that week the crowd outside the duma was truly a sea of people with the motor lorries that bristled with rifles for sea monsters and the gun carriages for ships and such a babel everyone talking at once and nobody listening to anyone i don't know now how i pushed through into the court but at last i was inside and found myself crushed up against the doors of the palace by a mob of soldiers and students here there was a kind of hush 
when the door of the palace opened there was a little sigh of interest at intervals armed guards marched up with some wretched pale dirty gorodovoy whom they had taken prisoner nicholas markovitch paused again and again he had been looking out to the sea over whose purple shadows the sky pale green and studded with silver stars seemed to wave magic shuttles of light to and fro backwards and forwards you don't mind all these details ivan andreevich i am trying to discover for my own sake all the details that led me to my final experience i want to trace the chain link by link nothing is unimportant i assured him that i was absorbed by his story and indeed i was that little uncouth lost and desolate man was the most genuine human being whom i had ever known that quality above all others stood forth in him he had his secret as all men have their secret the key to their pursuit of their own immortality but markovitch's secret was a real one something that he faced with real bravery real pride and real dignity and when he saw what the issue of his conduct must be he would i knew face it without flinching he went on but looking at me now rather than the sea looking at me with his grave melancholy angry eyes after one of these convoys of prisoners the door remained for a moment open and i seeing my chance slipped in after the guards here i was then in the very heart of the revolution but still you know ivan andreevich i couldn't properly seize the fact i couldn't grasp the truth that all this was really occurring and that it wasn't just a play a pretense or a dream yes a dream especially a dream perhaps after all that was what it was the circular hall was piled high with machine-guns bags of flour and provisions of all kinds there were some armed soldiers of course and women and beside the machine-guns the floor was strewn with cigarette ends and empty tins and papers and bags and cardboard boxes and even broken bottles dirt and desolation i remember that it was then when i looked at that floor that the first little suspicion stole into my heart not a suspicion so much as an uneasiness i wanted at once myself to set to work to clean up all the mess with my own hands i didn't like to see it there and no one caring whether it was there or no in the catherine hall into which i peered there was a vast mob and this huge mass of men stirred and coiled and uncoiled like some huge ant-heap many of them as i watched suddenly turned into the outer hall men jumped on to chairs and boxes and balustrades and soon all over the place there were speakers some shouting some shrieking some with tears rolling down their cheeks some swearing some whispering as though to themselves and all the regiments came pouring in from the station tumbling in like puppies or babies with pieces of red cloth tied to their rifles some singing some laughing some dumb with amazement thicker and thicker and thicker standing round the speakers with their mouths open and their eyes wide pushing and jostling but good-naturedly like young dogs everywhere you know men were forming committees committees for social right for a just peace for women's suffrage for finnish independence for literature and the arts 
for the better treatment of prostitutes, for education, for the just division of the land. I had crept into my corner, and soon as the soldiers came thicker and thicker, the noise grew more and more deafening, the dust floated in hazy clouds. The men had their kettles, and they boiled tea, squatting down there, sometimes little processions pushed their way through, soldiers shouting and laughing with some white-faced policemen in their midst. Once I saw an old man, his shuba about his ears, stumbling with his eyes wide open, and staring as though he were sleepwalking. That was Sturmer being brought to judgment. Once I saw a man so terrified that he couldn't move, but must be prodded along by the rifles of the soldiers. That was Petirum. And the shouting and screaming rose and rose like a flood. Once Radzienko came in and began shouting, Tovarishchi! Tovarishchi! But his voice soon gave away, and he went back into the Salle Catherine again. The socialists had it their way. There were so many, and their voices were so fresh, and the soldiers liked to listen to them. Land for everybody, they shouted, and bread and peace. Hurrah! Hurrah! cried the soldiers. That's all very well, said a huge man near me, but Nicholas is coming, and tomorrow he will eat us all up. But no one seemed to care. They were all mad, and I was mad too. It was the drunkenness of dust. It got in our heads and our brains. We all shouted. I began to shout too, although I didn't know what it was that I was shouting. A grimy soldier caught me round the neck and kissed me. Land for everybody, he cried. Have some tea, Tovarist, and I shared his tea with him. Then, through the dust and noise, I suddenly saw Boris Grogoff. That was an astonishing thing. You see, I had dissociated all this from my private life. I had even, during these last hours, forgotten Vera, perhaps for the very first moment since I met her. She had seemed to have no share in this, and then suddenly the figure of Boris showed me that one's private life is always with one, that it is a secret city in which one must always live, and whose gates one will never pass through, whatever may be going on in the world outside. But Grogov, what a change! You know, I had always patronized him, Ivan Andreevich. It had seemed to me that he was only a boy with a boy's crude ideas. You know his fresh face with the way that he used to push back his hair from his forehead and shout his ideas. He never considered anyone's feelings. He was a complete egoist and a man, it seemed to me, of no importance. But now he stood on a bench and had around him a large crowd of soldiers. He was shouting in just his old way that he used in the English prospect but he seemed to have grown in the meantime into a man. He did not seem afraid any more. I saw that he had power over the men to whom he was speaking. I couldn't hear what he said, but through the dust and heat he seemed to grow and grow until it was only him whom I saw there. He will carry off Nina, was my next thought. Ludicrous there at such a time, in such a crowd, but it is exactly like that that life shifts and shifts until it has formed a pattern i was frightened by grogoff i could not believe that the new freedom the new russia the new world would be made by such men he waved his arms he pushed back his hair the men shouted 
Grokoff was triumphant. The new world, Novaya Jezn, Novaya Jezn, new life, I heard him shout. The sun before it set flooded the hall with light. What a scene through the dust, the red flags, the women, and the soldiers, and the shouting. I was suddenly dismayed. How can order come out of this, I thought. They are all mad. Terrible things are going to happen. I was dirty and tired and exhausted. I fought my way through the mob, found the door. For a moment I looked back to that sea of men lit by the last light of the sun. Then I pushed out, was thrown, it seemed to me, from man to man, and was at last in the air. Quiet, fires burning in the courtyard, a sky of the palace blue, a few stars, and the people singing the Marseillaise. It was like drinking great draughts of cold water after an intolerable thirst. Hasn't Chekhov said somewhere that Russians have nostalgia but no patriotism? That was never true of me. Can't remember how young I was when I remember my father talking to me about the idea of Russia. I've told you that he was, by any kind of standard, a bad man. He had, I think, no redeeming points at all. But he had all the same that sense of Russia. I don't suppose that he put it to any practical use, or that he even tried to teach it to his pupils. But it would suddenly seize him, and he would let himself go, and for an hour he would be a fine master of words. And what Russia is ever more than that at the end? He spoke to me, and gave me a picture of a world inside a world, and this inside world was complete in itself. It had everything in it, beauty, wealth, force, power. It could be anything. It could do anything. But it was held by an evil enchantment, as though a wicked magician had it in thrall, and everything slept as in Tchaikovsky's ballet. But one day, he told me, the prince would come and kill the enchanter, and this great world would come into its own. I remember that I was so excited that I couldn't bear to wait, but prayed that I might be allowed to go out and find the enchanter. But my father laughed and said that there were no enchanter now, and then I cried. All the same, I never lost my hope. I talked to people about Russia, but it was never Russia itself they seemed to care for. It was women, or drink, or perhaps freedom and socialism, or perhaps some part of Russia, Siberia, or the Caucasus. But my world they none of them believed in. It didn't exist, they said. It was simply my imagination that had painted it, and they laughed at me, and said it was held together by the lashes of the knout, and when those went, Russia would go too. As I grew up, some of them thought that I was revolutionary, and they tried to make me join their clubs and societies, but those were no use to me. They couldn't give me what I wanted. They wanted to destroy, to assassinate someone, or to blow up a building. They had no thought beyond destruction, and that to me seemed only the first step. And they never think of Russia, our revolutionaries. You will have noticed that yourself, Ivan Andreevich. Nothing so small and trivial as Russia. It must be the whole world, or nothing at all. Democracy, freedom, the brotherhood of man. Oh, the terrible harm that words have done to Russia! 
had the russians of the last fifty years been born without the gift of speech we would be now the greatest people on the earth but i loved russia from end to end the farthest villages in siberia the remotest hut beyond archangel from the shops in the sadovaya to the lavra at kiev from the little villages on the bank of the volga to the woods round tarnopol all all one country one people one world within a world the old man to whom i was secretary discovered this secret hope of mine i talked one night when i was drunk and told him everything i mentioned even the enchanter and the sleeping beauty how he laughed at me he would never leave me alone nikolai leontovitch believes in holy russia he would say not so much holy you understand as bewitched a fairy garden ladies with a sleeping beauty in the middle of it dear me nikolai leontovitch no wonder you are heart-free how i hated him and his yellow face and his ugly stomach i would have stamped on it with delight but that made me shy i was afraid to speak of it to anyone and i kept to myself then vera came and she didn't laugh at me the two ideas grew together in my head vera and russia the two things in my life by which i stood because man must have something in life round which he may nestle as a cat curls up by the fire but even vera did not seem to care for russia as russia what can siberia be to me she would say why nicholas it is no more than china but it was more than china when i looked at it on the map i recognized it as though it were my own country then the war came and i thought the desire of my heart was fulfilled at last men talked about russia as though she truly existed for a moment all russia was united all classes rich and poor high and low men were patriotic together as though one heart beat through all the land but only for a moment divisions came and quickly things were worse than before there came tannenberg and afterwards warsaw all was lost russia was betrayed and i was a sentimental fool you know yourself how cynical even the most sentimental russians are that is because if you stick to facts you know where you are but ideas are always betraying you life simply isn't long enough to test them that's all and man is certainly not a patient animal at first i watched the war going from bad to worse and then i shut myself in and refused to look any longer i thought only of vera and my work i would make a great discovery and be rich and then vera at last would love me idiot as though i had not known that vera would not love for that kind of reason i determined that i would think no more of russia that i would be a man of no country then during those last weeks before the revolution i began to be suspicious of vera and to watch her i did things of which i was ashamed and then i despised myself for being ashamed i am a man i can do what i wish even though i am imprisoned i am free i am my own master and all the same to be a spy is a mean thing ivan andreevich you englishmen although you are stupid you are not mean it was that day when your young friend bowen found me looking in your room for letters that in spite of myself i was ashamed 
he looked at me in a sort of way as though down to his very soul he was astonished at what i had done well why should i mind that he should be astonished he was very young and all wrong in his ideas of life nevertheless that look of his influenced me i thought about it afterwards then came alexey petrovitch i've told you already he was always hinting at something he was always there as though he were waiting for something to happen he hinted things about vera it's strange ivan andreevitch but there was a day just a week before the revolution when i was very nearly jumping up and striking him just to get rid of him so that he shouldn't be watching me why even when i wasn't there he but what's that got to do with my walk nothing perhaps all the same it was all these little things that made me when i walked out of the duma that evening so queer you see i'd been getting desperate all that i had left was being taken from me and then suddenly this revolution had come and given me back russia again i forgot alexey petrovitch and your englishman lawrence and the failure of my work i remembered once again just as i had those first days of the war vera and russia there in the clear evening air i forgot all the talk there had been inside the duma the mess and the noise and the dust i was suddenly happy again and excited and hopeful the enchanter had come after all and russia was to awake ah what a wonderful evening that was you know that there have been times very very rare occasions in one's life when places that one knows well streets and houses so common and customary as to be like one's very skin are suddenly for a wonderful half-hour places of magic the trees are gold the houses silver the bricks jewelled the pavement of amber or simply perhaps they are different a new country of new colour and mystery when one is just in love or has won some prize or finished at last some difficult work petrograd was like that to me that night i swear to you ivan andreevitch i did not know where i was i seem now on looking back to have been in places that night magical places that by the morning had flown away i could not tell you where i went i know that i must have walked for miles i walked with a great many people who were all my brothers i had drunk nothing not even water and yet the effect on me was exactly as though i were drunk drunk with happiness ivan andreevitch and with the possibility of all the things that might now be we many of us marched along singing the marseillaise i suppose there was firing i think in some of the streets because i can remember now on looking back that once or twice i heard a machine-gun quite close to me and didn't care at all and even laughed not that i've ever cared for that bullets aren't the sort of things that frighten me there are other terrors all the same it was curious that we should all march along as though there were no danger and the peace of the world had come there were women with us quite a number of them i think and i believe some children i remember that some of the way i carried a child fast asleep in my arms how ludicrous it would be now if i of all men in the world carried a baby down the nevsky but it was quite natural that night the town seemed to me blazing with light of course that it cannot have been there can only have been the stars and some bonfires 
and perhaps we stopped at the police courts which were crackling away i don't remember that but i know that somewhere there were clouds of golden sparks opening into the sky and mingling with the stars a wonderful sight flocks of golden birds and behind them a roar of sound like a torrent of water i know that most of the night i had one man especially for my companion i can see him quite clearly now although whether it is all my imagination or not i can't say certainly i've never seen him since and never will again he was a peasant a bigly made man very neatly and decently dressed in a workman's blouse and black trousers he had a long black beard and was grave and serious speaking very little but watching everything kindly our best type of peasant perhaps the type that will one day give russia her real freedom one day a thousand years from now i don't know why it is that i can still see him so clearly because i can remember no one else of that night and even this fellow may have been my imagination but i think that as we walked along i talked to him about russia and how the whole land now from archangel to vladivostok might be free and be one great country of peace and plenty first in all the world it seemed to me that everyone was singing men and women and children we must at last have parted from most of the company i had come with my friend into the quieter streets of the city then it was that I suddenly smelt the sea. You must have noticed how Petrograd is mixed up with the sea, how suddenly, where you never would expect it, you see the mass of ships all clustered together against the sky. I smelt the sea, the wind blew fresh and strong, and there we were on the banks of the Neva. Everywhere there was perfect silence. The Neva lay tranquil, bound under its ice, the black hulks of the ships lay against the white shadows like sleeping animals. The curve of the sky, with its multitude of stars, was infinite. My friend embraced me and left me, and I stayed alone, so happy, so sure of the peace of the world, that I did what I had not done for years, sent up a prayer of gratitude to God. Then, with my head in my hands, looking down at the mass of the ships, feeling Petrograd behind me, with its lights, as though it were the city of God, I burst into tears, tears of happiness and joy and humble gratitude. I have no memory of anything further. End of Part 2 Chapter 11